All right, good morning. We are in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, if you want to make your way there. 1 Corinthians 16. As we continue our trek through the New Testament and as we finish up um, the book of Corinthians today. So we made it through, finished one book, and then next week, our brother Carl is going to come and um, going to be giving us a kind of a prophecy update for the next few weeks. We're going to be looking at uh, the current events and uh, of today and how they relate to prophecy. And so we'll be looking at that in the next few weeks. So I'm excited to hear all that he has to say and talk to him about it yesterday. And he's raring to go. So. Anyway, that's what's coming up. And again, I'll just make one last plug before we start getting into it heavy. We did get all the Operation Christmas Child boxes in. It's kind of early, but I thought I'd just at least get your heart set. We want to pack those shoe boxes again for um, Samaritan's Purse. And so we're excited to be a part of that again. So that's coming up in a month or so. We'll start talking about that a little bit more. It's kind of hard to imagine. Who knows what the Christmas Day countdown is? It's like 80 days to Christmas or some crazy thing or something. I know, so I don't know. But anyway, it's coming faster than we think. As we get older, it comes faster. So, all right, 1 Corinthians chapter 16. We are going to look at the final 24 verses of the book here. Uh, we've covered so much in this book. Um, it just it's said so much. And, you know, a lot of people nickname it First Californian. Uh, you know, because it is like a California, you know, things that would go on, uh, problems in, in the church today that we have. So there's a lot of similarities. And of course, we've looked at all those, a lot of similarities of what's been going on for here in our own environment, that nothing's new under the sun. Everything's, you know, the same old, same old, because the nature of man, of people is the same. And, um, you know, that's, What's still going on today? We're still struggling with those things. And um, again, great lessons found here. Um, remember, we talked about what the church is all about. Um, you know, who the church is all about, how, how it's important for the people. Um, you know, they were talking about, um, you know, well, we like this teacher. We like this teacher. Well, we follow them. We follow them. And they were just kind of all about egos. Oh, yeah, well, we like this guy. We like this guy. We like Peter. We like Paul. We like Apollos. We like... Uh, you know, whoever, we, oh no, we, we follow Jesus. And, you know, there was all this schisms over stuff like that that had no place there. And we were talking about, you know, one of the themes running through the book is thinking of others, right? We've been over that so many times, thinking of others and how we affect others, especially in the body of Christ. And we talked about, you know, sin in the body, in the church, and they were allowing some sinful things to go on. And, and, um, it wasn't good. They, they they thought, you know, it made them look like they're in tune with the crowd around them and the environment around them. Uh, and it wasn't. It was going against what God's holy standards were. We talked about singleness and marriage. We talked about walking by faith. We've talked about communion uh, and the worship and church services in so many different ways. Um, the gifts uh, of the gifts in the church. We spent a lot of time talking about uh, um, tongues and particularly prophecy, but we went over a bunch of other gifts, spent a lot of time talking about those things. Resurrection, our last uh, couple of sessions, uh, really good on resurrection. So important um, to, to know and to learn and to remember. Um, and again, now we'll finish up uh, with a few final notes and the first couple things he's going to touch on uh, here is giving, and uh, then we'll have some closing notes. And so verse 1 of 1 Corinthians chapter 16 says, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given orders to the church churches of Galatia, so you must do also. On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collections when I come. So in his final notes, the first thing 
he talks about is is giving and we'll we'll talk about what that's for in a little bit but it's you know about you know giving to the the poor that are in Jerusalem there but there's some important lessons really in here that they talk about giving and giving is just um, well it's spoken about quite a bit in the scripture we've covered a lot of it but notice this that giving is something to be planned like they're, they're supposed to you know, uh, lay something aside. It was, it was planned. It was um, uh, something that they forethought of. And it was something that they brought with them. And, you know, and they gave it according to the blessings given them. I mean, the three important pres- principles here. And the idea behind this was there was not to be any pressure or coercion, um, you, know, uh, you know, given to the church. There wasn't any, like, pressure to do this. He's just giving them instruction. Listen, you need to plan this, then you need to bring it, and what you need to bring should be in according with the blessings that have been given to you. Pretty simple, you know, uh, fundamental thing. It, it's all... See, the problem is that what happens is a lot of people, I shouldn't say a lot of people, but it's probably a lot of people. <laughs> you know, when, when the church, and you've been to them, the churches have passed around plates or little baskets or something like that, which is fine and good and wonderful and all that. You know, then there's this, you know, you know, the basket's coming down your row and, you know, some people, um, seems like, you know, a considerable number of them are like, you know, reaching for their purse, reaching for their wallet, you know, um, you know, oh man, here's coming by, we better, oh, I got five bucks in my pocket, I better throw it in there and pass it along and everything like that. that. That's never the intent of what, you know, giving is supposed to be or what it's supposed to be like, you know, really in church. You know, that's kind of given under pressure, you feel an obligation because it's coming back by you. And I understand why, you know, churches do that. I, I get that. I have no problem with it. We've always kind of just, hey, listen, you're going to give, you're going to give purposely. There's a place for you to give. It's a box, uh, although more modern ways of giving are <laughs> kind of, you know, breaking through in some in some areas. But, you know, it's there. It's purpose. There's no pressure. You, you, you know, you got in your heart to give. That's the place to do it in. And um, But that's the whole idea behind it. You're not supposed to work something up and, you know, feel the pressure to do that. He said, I want you guys to plan it. I want you, then I want you to bring it on the first day of the week and, 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 you know, give in a way of how you've been blessed. There was a, a story of this, I was reading about this, a rich guy that, you know, some years ago, he was going to die and he, he uh, called his lawyer and his doctor and his uh, accountant into his office and he made some, you know, uh, final wishes and he said you know he thought you know I really you know I want to be buried with some money and so he figured rather than give one of them a large sum he would split it between the three of them so he gave his doctor 10,000 his accountant 10,000 his lawyer 10,000 he says you know when when I'm when I'm buried I want you know I want you to put the money in my hands in, in the grave and so you know a few weeks later the guy passes away and the Three people are there among the funeral, and, and the one doctor goes up and puts some money in the guy's hands, and and the other two look at him. He says, "Well, he owed me a couple thousand dollars, you know, from taking care of him these last couple of weeks when he was around. So, you know, I just put I put you know eight thousand in there, and and then the you know the accountant went up next and put a couple you know put his bundle in there, and they looked at him. He says, "Yeah." He owed me about 2500 so, you know, doing his books and helping him every year with his taxes, I saved him thousands, so, you know, I, he owed me a little bit, so I took it out, and they all look at the lawyer, walk up, put something there, and they go, man, that's not very much. And the lawyer said, well, he was really good to me, so I, I wrote him a check for 16000 <laughs> Come on, guys, put a check for... All right, okay, I guess it wasn't that funny. It was funny when I heard about it. <laughs> the lawyer put a check in there and just kept the cash, right? All right, sorry about that. That was funny when I read it. But anyway, you know, there's always a good reason to keep the money. That's the point, right? <laughs> and, um, and again, Paul didn't want his presence there either. I like that because he, you know, he was the guy that planted all these churches. He was, in his day, we would say probably 
uh, among the churches, certainly relatively famous. And when you saw Paul come into town and he would stay there and do that, you know, it, it would probably motivate you and when he would talk. And he could have some influence motivating them to give. But he didn't even want any of that, right? He steps away from all that. I don't want it to be impetuous. I don't want it to be impulsive. Uh, that's not what the Lord wants. I, I'm just instructing you ahead of time. This is what we're doing. This is what we're collecting. And this is what I want you to do. You just put it aside. You know, you thoughtfully put aside, hey, how blessed have you been? You put that aside, you plan it, and then you bring it. And on, the, on this case, the first day of the week, and we'll talk about that in a second. So again, he, he didn't do any of that. Um, but it's sad when churches have like set and setting just to make, you know, pressure in giving in church, which isn't right either. Uh, I remember many years ago, I went to this church for a little while, and what they would do in their offering was, you know, the, the typical bags, right? The offering bags with the two-handle and the, like, the red velvet carpet, you know, little bags. We've all seen those things. And so what they would do would be worship, and, they, you know, the worship team would play this really upbeat song. And then the ushers would take those bags, and they'd walk up to the front, so there was like three aisles, so there'd be one in front of each aisle, and they would hold them up here. And it was a very charismatic church, so they'd be swinging and dancing and all this stuff. And they'd hold it up here, and what the people would do would be walking down the aisle with whatever they were giving in their hand and, you know, try to time it to the guy swinging and put it in the basket. And, you know, every, it was a big show, right? It was just kind of a big show. And I, in one sense, I, you know... You know, it, it I guess depends on a person's heart, right? Obviously, they're celebrating, they're happy and giving. So, you know, if that's your heart. But again, it did also, on the other hand, you know, put a lot of pressure on people and you wanted to be looked as a good person. People are always, you know, I want to look like I'm somebody. And um, again, but that's not the heart of our Heavenly Father, right? He, he just, he wants us to give purposely and uh, thoughtfully in the sense, uh, you know, for the blessings that are given to them, to, to us, and then, and then to bring it. And again, you know, you just always remember how generous he is towards us. It, it's hard to be a tightwad and worry about your bank account when you think about how generous he's been towards us. It, it just, it just, it's a very natural thing to do. And so that's what he's encouraging to do. And then we'll talk about where the, this offering was going in a little bit. But the second thing I want us to note is in verse 2, notice that they met on Sunday. You know, on the first day of the week. So, you know, uh, and the idea behind this is, you know, you're, you're gathering that the first day of the week because you're meeting on the first day of the week. And, of course, we know that Sunday's been called the Lord's Day for, I don't know, as far back as I could find, a thousand years or more probably. And the idea behind that, you know, again... Um, there's always some debate which, which day should the church meet on. Um, and, you know, there's always been a smaller segment of the broader body of Christ. I'll, I'll say that with, you know, a little bit of reservation, you know, uh, arguing which day is a day that we should meet. And should we meet on the Sabbath day? And, of course, we know under the Jewish law, under the Jewish uh, way of doing things. They were to keep the Sabbath, but again, we know that was given way back when? In the Ten Commandments, right? That was something for the Jewish nation and never uh, ever repeated or called upon for the church to do. And, and probably again, but the scripture doesn't give us this detail, but you know, to separate from the Jewish Sabbath and the Christians, separating the Jews and the Christians, they probably just decided to meet on Sunday. Um, because that's the day Jesus rose, there was some reason behind doing that. But at the end of the day, all that really isn't relevant, right? Because we know what Second or Colossians two sixteen and seventeen say, and I'll put it up there, and it says this: Therefore, do not any anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. So you might like to work, uh, worship on a certain day. You might feel very strongly that there's this connection way back when on the seventh day of creation and you go way back and I feel like, man, I'm connecting with God's original intent for you know, his rest and my rest and 
worshiping Him. And if you have that, I have no problem with that. I, great, you're right? Some people feel more about this day and about other days. Um, you, you know, we can't judge anybody in particular. And if they want to worship on that day, great. Now, a lot of us worship on Sunday, I believe, particularly in in, the, in America and in our day and age and really in Western way of thinking, it's because we all have Saturday off. I mean, most of us have, sat, I'm sorry, Sunday off. Most of us have Saturday and Sunday off, but you know, most of us, you know, we're at the top part of the ag industry here. It doesn't go much past us. Everything is south from here, but those guys work six days a week. They always have, I can't imagine that they won't. They probably always will. So even in our modern society, um, they couldn't meet Saturday morning and have all the people who work, particularly even in our area, be able to be there because they wouldn't be able to be there. They'd be working. Um, everybody in ag and even related ag businesses work at least a half a day on, on Saturday. So Sunday just really makes sense as far as that in a practical way. But at the end of the day... You know, um, people like to argue and debate, and some people like to bring it back to the very early beginnings of the Roman church of Christianity and how they changed it to, I don't know, you know, la, la, la. But the bottom line is here we have them meeting the first day of the week. And of course, there's another number of other places in the New Testament where it talks about them gathering on the first day of the week. But I just point that out, remind us that, listen, we meet here because it's just a convenient day. We can meet on Tuesday. We do meet on Wednesday. That's the service. The service is like any other service, right? It's a day we choose to worship the Lord as well. And, of course, most of us worship the Lord every day. We don't reserve one day. Every day is the same. So, again, just a little insight of what's going on here in the early church about giving and about um, the Sabbath here or the first day of the week. And then verse 3 says, And when I come... Whomever you approve by your letters, I will send to bear your gift to Jerusalem. But if it is fitting that I uh, go also, they will go with me. So again, now this giving seems to be above the regular giving. We'd probably call this a special offering today. And we know that it's going to go to Jerusalem, the poor in Jerusalem. Um, we know the church was uh, under heavy persecution in Israel, particularly in Jerusalem, and the, the believers that were there were heavily persecuted. And again, remember, when you got kicked out of the synagogue, you couldn't trade and do business as normal. And so it put a, a hurt on a lot of the believers there. And, you know, uh, Paul wanted to have that connection with them. You know, we're one church. We're not Jewish Christians and non-Jewish Christians or Gentile Christians, we're, we're not that. We, we are one body in Christ. It doesn't matter our national heritage or anything else where we came for. We're all one. And that, that, that needs to be you know, understood. And it's, it's repeated so much in Scripture. In God's economy, it doesn't matter if you're male or female or you're from you know, this part of the world or your national heritage is here or your economic, you know, uh, is here or your social status is here you know the bottom line is we're all looked at the same in God's eyes you know men women there's just none of that separation as a matter of fact really if you really want to get down to it there there are just two groups of people in the world and, and that's the saints and as Draven McGee would say the ain'ts right <laughs> the saints and the ain'ts <laughs> That's really what it is. There, there's a people, there's God's people, and there's people that aren't God's people. And that's, that's the two groups, in, you know, everybody else, you know, we like, not that we do, knowing you guys, we don't do that. But, you know, there's people that make all sorts of distinctions and subcategories and hyphenate, you know, I'm a blank American, and they love hyphenating everything. You know, I'm so glad we just, that's so, not even in the, in the subject line, you know, either you're a saint or you're an ain't. And um, I want them to see um, that we care about them because they're part of us. And I, I want the poor in Jerusalem to see that, you know, there's people that love them that aren't from their same heritage and they're not from their same, 
you know, way of growing up and all that. Yeah, they grew up in a whole different environment that was completely crazy compared to what the Jews did and, and understand. But we're together in this now. And, uh, you know, I, I want, you know, those, that gift to just really to bless them. And, and Paul says, you could send somebody, you know, you, you pick out a person or people to represent the church in Corinth. And they can go, and I, if I'm going to go to deliver that gift as well, then, then I'll go too. But you guys can, you know, hey, these are the people way over there in Corinth, you know, as they get into Jerusalem, hey, we're from Corinth, and we just want to bless you guys. I mean, it's... Um, Pretty, pretty cool, and that's what he wanted to do. I, I think of um, missionaries today. Um, I, I don't know how in touch you know you stay with the missionary field, and there's some good. Um, of course, nobody gets magazines anymore. At least I don't get magazines very much anymore. But read most of this online. But you know about the missionaries and what's going on in the missions field and all this kind of stuff. And I always feel it's kind of sad, you know, knowing a number of people on the mission field and. You know, they spend so much of their time worrying about paying, you know, for, you know, basic things in life that we don't even give it a second thought. And they're worried about, you know, uh, am I going to continue to get, you know, because most missionaries can't work, right? They get a, a religious visa in the country and it doesn't allow them to work. So they're dependent on what's given to them. And, and I always feel sorry for them because, you know, the ones I know, they're always so worried about, you know, okay, uh, you know, is it giving and a drop down? And then they put pressure on them to make sure and, and hope that it gives. And they spend so much kind of effort, at least whether it's physical effort or at least mental effort into all those kind of things, you know, and it's just so sad because, okay, what, what I need to do is always keep the people that are supporting me in touch. So I always need to put out a newsletter, an update. I need to always do these things because basically what I'm doing is I'm reminding them, hey, I'm out here. This is what's going on. I'm out here. This is what, you know, because I don't want them to forget about me. And then all of a sudden they're like, well, why is that, you know, coming out of the checking account every month? Or uh, why am I writing this check or whatever, you know, however it transmits. And it's just kind of sad that that's the way it happens today so much of the time. And they spend so much effort into you know, into worrying about that rather than, you know, what, what their heart is all about to share the gospel to a new place or a place that doesn't have much of a presence of, of the gospel. And, um, you know, I, you know, every time we go down to Mexico, just as a little side note, I'm always, I'm just always kind of saddened how the country's so close to us. And yet, you know, there's so many places that are really unevangelized. Um, and, you know, there's dozens probably in every, you know, city in Mexico, churches, literally. I mean, from small little ones to very grand structures, right, depending on the city. And even some of the poorest cities, the churches is the best looking building down there, right? And, and uh, you know, they always have smaller satellite ones depending on the city. But, you know, you just, to see any Christian Bible teaching, you know, you know, good, solid churches. It's just you don't see it. And of course, the Jehovah Witnesses are trying to make inroads down there as well as the Mormons. And usually they have the prettiest facilities down there. They put up basketball courts and community centers to bring the people in and they have their own way of doing things. And it's just kind of sad. A country so close uh, to us, you know, our neighbors and, and yet how little evangelized it is when, when uh, we go down there and see it just to find a, a good church is pretty rare, uh, particularly, you know, Baja, not so much because there's some good churches, but when you go further down south in Mexico, it's just, and uh, anyway, so, you know, what they were trying to do is again, hey, we're with you, we're struggling, you need support, we want to gather it, we want to love you, we want to bless you in the same way, and how wonderful that, that, that was, and again, some important instruction in our giving as well. Well, then Paul says in verse 5, Now, I will come to you when I pass through Macedonia, for I am passing through Macedonia. And it may be that I will remain or even spend the winter with you, that you may spend, uh, send me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not wish to see you now on the way, but I hope to stay a while with you if the Lord permits." So here's Paul saying, you know, my, my journey right now is I'm going through Macedonia and what my plan is to go through Macedonia and, and then instead of spending time through that Macedonian region, 
um, think of those, well, here, I guess I'll, I can, I'll show you in a map in a little bit and we'll talk about that, but you know, through that region and I'm going to kind of make my way down uh, to you and I'm kind of planning on right now spending the winter there. But notice he says in verse 7, if the Lord permits. Paul wanted to see them, but at the right time or at the, or at the Lord's time. So, you know, I just don't want to pass through you know, and I could pass through, but then I'm just literally passing through. What do I spend a day there or two days and I'm going on? I don't want to do that. Um, but, you know, if it wills when I, and I can, I'll spend there and I'm, I'm planning on spending the winter here. And I think this um, tells us a lot about um, the Lord's timing and how Paul was led. I mean, do you ever stop and think, okay, here's this great missionary um, of the first century that planted churches all over, certainly the western part of the Roman Empire, probably moved into to Europe as we call it today, but certainly around the Mediterranean and, uh, and did quite a bit. Well, how did he know where to go? How did he know when to go? How did he know, you know, uh, was it like on a map and they just kind of do you guys remember way back in the day and when you had Auto Club and they had the trip ticks? Am I the only guy that remembers those things? Do you remember the trip ticks? <laughs> you go to the Auto Club, you tell them where you want to go, and they had a little... No? Okay, I guess not. <laughs> it was pretty cool. And then you it had a map for each day and where you'd stop, and they'd print it out, and they put it in a little... Okay, they were pretty cool back in the day. Anyway, uh, back when we used maps. But, uh, you know, did he have something like that, a map up there? And, you know, did he put on your Google Maps and put all the points and destinations along the way and then set the thing and turn right here, walk uh, 10 miles there, stop there. No, you know, he didn't. So uh, how, how did he get around? Y you know, he didn't have some blueprint to follow or some map or some schedule that the Lord gave him. Rather, he went along as the Lord showed him what to do. And in some places he'll say like, well, the, the Spirit of the Lord kept me from going in that place. And, you know, I wanted to reach that place, but, you know, the Lord just didn't allow it. Now, we don't know how it was, whether it was physically, you know, he couldn't make it because there was a flood or something and he couldn't make it across that river. Or, you know, the Lord really impressed on his heart. That's not the place to go. And then sometimes he'd get a dream, remember, of a person calling and asking the gospel. And he goes, okay, that's the Lord talking to me. And that came from the city of over here. And so he would go over there. So what he did, rather than lay out this big grand plan, is let's evangelize the Western Roman Empire. And here are some of the great major stops we'll make. You know, he just followed the Lord day after day as the Lord led him. And I think we can take some great comfort in that and learn some great lessons in that too, because that's how he really wants to lead us today. That hasn't changed. He wants to lead us day by day. Yes, Paul had great things and was used in a great way, absolutely, but you know what? He doesn't want to use us in any less of a, a way. And that's why it's always important that we need to be flexible. And we always need to be available to his leading and his direction. That's one of the things that made Paul great. It wasn't so much anything like his education. You know, that was a hindrance in some way. And his ability to do this, uh, that was a hindrance sometimes. But you know, I think one of the greatest keys for Paul and, and those in scriptures that have been used by the Lord is they made themselves available to God. They allowed the Lord to lead them in any particular way. He chose to lead them and allowed, them, uh, allowed him to dictate what they would do and what they wouldn't do, how they would act, how they wouldn't do it. And again, that's what he wants us to do because that's how a relationship develops and grows. You're in constant communication and you just know each other one in a better and a deeper way as you go through and as we grow in our relationship and we see his leading and we understand he's putting on the brakes here, he's reminding this here, in, in all sorts of different ways he does that. And again, we just need to be flexible and available to his leading and his directing. But it's sad some won't understand this. As a matter of fact, you know, next week, again, Carl's going to do for about four weeks uh, the prophecy update starting next week. And then we'll get into 2 Corinthians, but we'll see when we get into 2 Corinthians in a, 
month or so, um, you know, there's some that won't understand that. They're thinking that, Paul, you said you were going to come by and winter here, and you didn't, but, you know, why, why are you changing plans? You know, you just can't trust you. You're flaking out on us, or whatever they thought. There was some in, in Corinth that, will, you know, won't understand, and it will kind of run them down because of that. But it's just important to see that we always run our plans and our hopes through the directing of the Holy Spirit. You know, Lord, uh, I know you have me doing this. I know you gave me this job. Okay, I, I'm, I'm working at that, that job. I'm going to that school. I, I'm doing this. I, I see you have me, have me here. And, and whenever you're done with me here or whatever this is true or, or during the day or after that or whatever, I'm, you know, you just lead me through the day and through the night and every day and just I'm, I'm open to what you want to do. I know um, the Lord's reminding me in our own family, you know, we're going through some issues with, with the insurance. And, uh, you know, the Lord has to remind me of that because, you know, okay, you know, He has got our best interest in heart and He loves us and we have to stand on that firmly. And so if He's allowing things to happen here or there, if He's closing doors in different areas or opening ones that I don't necessarily like, then I have to be okay with that. You know, what the problem is, is when we dig our heels in and we say, no, this is the way it has to be, or this is the way I think it's best, or this is what I've always wanted to do and my hope, and I'm not going to let that go, or I'm going to do it the way I think is best because it's best, or I'm, you know, we just can't have that. That, that really separates the relationship. That strains the relationship. And what we need to be is always open to his leading however he chooses to lead and guide us. And that's how Paul moved through this. And again, that's what scripture tells us in the verse that you're probably very familiar with here in Proverbs. You know, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding in all your ways. Acknowledge him and what? He'll direct your paths or he'll lead you, right? So, again, um, something we all know and something we're familiar with, but, you know, we just lean on Him. Uh, we don't have to figure everything out. His promise is to lead us and guide us in the best place, and we just have to acknowledge that and trust Him and allow Him to lead us. And, uh, you know, it's, it's pretty straightforward. So now we get a little bit of how things happened, you know, in, with the great Paul the Apostle and his missionary trips. Well, verse 8 says, But I will tarry in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a great and effective door has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. So I'll, I'll put this map up that I was talking about. Um, uh, you, you know, here's Corinth, here's Ephesus, so you have a sense where it is. You know, Corinth is obviously in modern-day uh, Greece, um, Ephesus and those areas, Turkey and, and that area. Um, and I'll just point out, like I said, so when we see, like we read through um, Acts and you see he went to Achaia down there, you can see that region in Greece is Achaia, so that whole area. And you see up at the top by Thessalonica, that area was Macedonia. And they call, I know we think of Asia as being, you know, India, China, Japan, Korea, and all that kind of stuff. But in the Roman days, that was considered Asia on that side. So when we, you know, we read about those, those are areas and there are cities within those areas. And Paul said, um, you know, I'm going to hang out in Ephesus for a while until Pentecost, which is that, you know, festival that we know, the Jewish festival um, that happens in the, in the summertime. And, um, you know, he wanted to stay there and he knows there's a great effective door open, um, but notice he knows there's a great effective door and the Lord has him there and there's going to be a lot that you want me to do, but in that there are many adversaries. Paul wanted to stay there because he knew the Lord had opened the door for a lot of effective ministry there and uh, he thinks, but there's many people coming against this, many adversaries. He doesn't look at it as an, uh, uh, he, he looks at it as an opening and not an exit. You know, most of us say, man, okay, yeah, there's, there's 
a lot of ministry that could happen here, but look at this, and this is opposition, and they're going to arrest us, and they're going to do this, and they're going to do that and everything. And so uh, difficulties and adversaries is my cue to leave. <laughs> See you later. Okay, there's adversaries. But that's not the case. Yes, he knew there was going to be adversaries, but he also knew the Lord had opened the door for effective ministry. So what does that mean to us in basic terms? It's just because the Lord is opening a door and leading in some place doesn't mean it's going to be smooth sailing, right? There was going to be effective ministry, and Paul will stay in Ephesus longer than he stayed in any other city. He'll stay there for about two years uh, and, and stay there and minister, but he knew it wasn't going to be easy. But the great thing is, you have this great peace, and you have this great satisfaction, and you have this wonderful knowledge that you know you're where you're supposed to be, even in the midst of storms and trials and difficulties. You see, that's the difference. That's what we have that the world never can understand, because when they see difficulties and trials and heartaches, you know, it's this big swirling tornado, you know, and you're caught up and the refrigerator's hitting you and the Mack truck's flying around hitting you, a piece of sheet metal's hitting you, right? And okay, I got to get out of this thing. But no, we have that peace in the midst of all that because we know His hand's upon us and we know He's leading us and He gives us that wonderful peace and knowledge and satisfaction that this is where we're supposed to be, even though I know there's lots of problems. Something important for us to learn as well here. And I like this quote. It says, Satan throws every obstacle he can in the way of effective Christian service. Never since his conquest of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden has Satan feared and dreaded anything like he fears and dreads Christianity, Christ, and the church. So again, you know what? Our effective Christian service in following the Lord and being obedient to Him um, and knowing that's where He's called us and we're not going to let... Again, Paul doesn't look at adversaries as a, okay, this is a good time to exit stage right. No, it's an opening, not an exit, right? And he has that peace through all that time that he spends there. Great thing for us to remember. And then he tells us in verse 10, And if Timothy comes, see that he may be with you without fear, for he does the work of the Lord as I also do. Therefore let no one despise him, but send him on his journey in peace, that he may come to me, for I am waiting for him with the brethren. So it seems like what Paul's doing here is he says, Okay, Tim, here's a letter. To the Corinth, you know, Corinthians, I, I can't get there. You know, I'm over here. I'm across the, you know, the bay, if you would. I'm, I'm in, uh, you know, Ephesus over there. I'm way across there. Here's a letter. I want you to take it, you know, uh, to them. And, uh, and the letter we're reading is a letter that Timothy delivered. Now, he was young. Uh, we know he was a young guy, and we know from other places in Scripture, particularly the two letters that Paul wrote to him, that he was kind of a timid guy. And, you know, quite frankly, this is maybe where he got beat up the most. And, he, you know, it made him, there's good reason for him to be timid, right? I mean, this was a tough church to go to. There were some tough, strong opinions in here. And Paul's not writing something to him, you know, that's, that's not going to ruffle some feathers. It's going to ruffle some feathers, and he knows that there's going to be some, Paul knows there's going to be some, who's this young punk coming in here? You know, what does he know? You know, who is he? And then who's Paul? Look, at Paul doesn't even show up himself. He doesn't give us the, the you know, to, the, the decency to show up for himself. No, no, he, you know, he's sending some, you know, he knows they're going to have, there's going to be some in the church that are going to have that attitude. They're going to have the attitude of, let's shoot the messenger, <laughs> right? Yeah. Let's shoot the messenger. And again, we already know that he had this tendency to be afraid and was timid. And, uh, but he says, don't let that stop you. And you guys be nice to Timothy because he's, you know, he's representing me. And of course, Paul will encourage Timothy, hey, don't be afraid. Don't be timid. You know, stand firm. Even though you're young, you know, stand firm because the Lord's got a calling on your life. It's, it's tough for young guys and when they get in the ministry to, you know, to minister to older people, because people tend to have egos, and they're like, oh, who's this kid? How, he's wet behind the ears. How could they know anything? You know, and egos and pride kind of gets in the way. Um, 
and uh, something we always need to be careful of. But Paul is saying very clearly, you know, he's representing me. And it was a trip, right? I mean, look at this trip. I mean, he, um, most people believe that he actually took that, the land route and went, you know, all the way around to Corinth, which would be a big trip. And I imagine Timothy had a lot of time to worry <laughs> as he got one step closer, right? Another step closer. Oh, man, what are those guys going to do? They're going to stone me. They're going to hate me. They're going to make fun, you know. You know, this letter, I was there when Paul was, you know, dictating it, and man, I don't know how it's all going to go. But, you know, he fa he's faithful to go. He does it. And, of course, Paul says, hey, you know, you better treat him right because he's, 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 you know, representing the Lord and me. And then he says in verse 12, Now concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to come to you with the brethren, but he was quite unwilling to come at this time. However, he will come when he has a convenient time. Now, I don't know about you, but I find this really interesting because remember way back in the beginning chapters of this book, remember we were talking about, in fact, when we were doing our little recap of it, there was this big schism in the church. You know, I follow Paul. I follow Peter. Oh, I follow Apollos. No, I, I follow Jesus. All, you know, there was all that stuff that Paul addressed. Well, one of the guys that was well-respected and liked by a segment in the in the Corinthian church was Apollos. But you know, he's, he doesn't even want to go. And it seems like to me that Paul was saying to Apollos, hey, here's this letter. It needs to go to them. You know, there's a good segment of the church that really likes you. Why don't you bring it? You bring that letter to him. And Paul's like, nah, it's just, it's, it's not, I, I, I'm not going to go at this time. I'll go at some point, but I'm not going to go right now. Now, um, Again, some people liked him. They thought they were more spiritual because they liked how Apollos, and we know from Acts that he was a, a great speaker. He's one of those kind of guys that you brought into, into church or to a meeting or someplace, and he'd speak, and man, you're just like, wow, that was just such a great message. You know, some people are just gifted in that, and, and I always say because they practice the message about 50 times because <laughs> they've given it 50 times. They've got to be good in it, right? Anyway, sorry, that's my little thing. But, um, uh, you know, but he was. He was just a great speaker. And some people are just very talented and gifted speaker. And certainly Apollos was one of those. And, um, but, you know, he doesn't even want to go. And I find that kind of interesting, you know, why he doesn't even want to go. And, and it could be very well that he just didn't want to be caught up in that whole mess. I'm not going to put myself in that mess because it's just a mess over there. And some people are going to love me. Other people are going to hate me. Man, that church needs to kind of get straightened out and, and maybe I need to stay away from it. And maybe that was his thought. I don't know. It doesn't really tell us. But what it does tell us is this. Paul was the man. Nobody's going to argue that. He was the guy certainly that reached the Gentiles and all these areas here. But you notice he wasn't like ahead of anything. You know, it wasn't like, Paulus, you need to go, and Paulus just went. You know, this guy, you need to do this, you need to do this, you need to do this, you need to, you know, it wasn't like that at all. There was no, if I could put it in these terms, there was no Pope, right? We'll know in a few hundred years that the Pope can, <laughs> Pope can lead armies and dictate to kings and you know that'll go on for centuries and do all this and you you know the pope does this and people jump there was none of that in the early church you know that was all developed later on and uh and not in a good way for the most part now there was some good certainly but not in a good way and you could see that there was this hey we're all in this together let the lord lead you he's leading me he can lead you just as well as he can lead me i'm not any better than anybody else and he can speak to me just as he can speak to anybody else I think that's good to see. You know, uh, he thought it would help convey the message he was given. They would show the oneness that they're in this together. But again, it just wasn't, in, in Apollo's estimation, the right time to go for whatever reason. And it doesn't tell us why, so anything would be a guess. But um, it does bring up an interesting question. You know, what do you do um, when you know that something is best for somebody to do something, but they don't want to do it? Or what if somebody tells you this is the best thing you should be doing, but you don't feel like doing it? I think this lays a very important principle here. First of all, if we know that a person is in error, 
So we're, we're called to in love to help correct them and instruct them in love to restore them. Not to make you look any better, not to put them down, but, you know, as the Lord moving your heart to instruct. And now if there's some place that you could see, man, this is a great ministry or this is a great place you can go into, you, you know, should we talk to them? Absolutely. I believe we should do that. But should we like really put the forceful, hey, you really need to do this and use some weight of our influence in their life? I don't see that. I don't see that. And, and so, yes, we do present it to them. Yes, we do encourage them. But we leave the decision with them and the Lord working through them. And if he's speaking to us and revealing to us something about that person, then great, we can do that. But if he, he's got your address, he, he's got his address, right? He can talk directly to that person. And, and so, you know, we just need to, to leave it in the Lord's hands and the Holy Spirit to direct that person. And the same thing is true. If somebody's really encouraging us to do this and really should do this and putting pressure on there, but you don't, you know, you don't feel that the Lord's saying that to you or, or causing you to do that right now or to do that, you know, you can always say, okay, Lord, are you trying to show me something? And if you don't really have a response that it doesn't change your heart and your desire, then, you know, you can say very nicely to that person, you know, the Lord has my number. If he wants to get a hold of me, he can speak to me directly. He hasn't, so thank you for your input, but, you know, I need him to confirm it in my heart and my life. And I think that's a great way to handle things uh, here, certainly the way it was done in the church here with, between Paul and Apollos. And um, good lessons for us to learn in that area. Well, and then verse 13 says, Watch, stand fast in the faith, be brave, be strong. Let all you do be done with love. So I love that, you know, be a man. Some <laughs> translations put it, be strong. Don't be pulled around. Don't be wishy-washy, but stand firm in love. And Paul will say this over and over again to the churches about being brave, being strong, standing fast in the faith. Uh, Galatians 1 you know, tells us that for your freedom in Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to, the, to a yoke of slavery. So standing firm in our faith. Don't fall backwards here in, in Galatians 5. And as a matter of fact, that's our daily reading coming up here in a couple of days. Uh, you guys are going through the year through the New Testament. And then uh, 2 Thessalonians 2.15. So brothers, stand firm and hold to the teachings we have passed on to you, whether by uh, whether of word, I'm sorry, whether by word of mouth or by letter. So again, he's always reminding the church to stand firm, be brave, be strong. An important reminder for us as well. well we have an enemy that wants to just pull us down constantly. And I urge you, brethren, you know the household of Stephanus, that it was the first fruits of Acacia, Acacia and that they have devoted themselves to the ministry of the saints, that you also submit to such and to everyone who works and labors with us. You know, I love that. Notice that Stephanus had devoted his life to serving and blessing the church and the saints. How could we sum up our lives? You know, if there was somebody like Paul that knew us and saw us and knew us, how would that person sum up our lives? Or we could say this, what's our master passion in life? Would somebody say, oh, you, they could sum us up knowing that, you know, we're, man, that guy or that gal is a great car collector, or that person, you know, is a good investor, or that person, you know, they're like, man, they're the best gardener, or they're the best accountant or they're the you know they have the the greatest fashion where they can i mean how would somebody sum up our lives i i love the fact that stephanus was devoted his life to serving and blessing the church and the saints in the church you know the ministry to the people you know um and paul says look at those who live their lives like this listen and learn from them so that you'll be blessed too I think that's a great challenge for all of us as well, looking at Stephanus. What a great guy. 
And I'm glad, uh, I am glad about the coming of Stephanus, Fortunus, and Arcasius, uh, for what was lacking on your part they supplied, for they refreshed my spirit and yours, therefore acknowledge such men. So it seems like these are the guys that brought the news about the Corinthian church, the questions they had, some of the problems that were going on. So these are the guys that brought Paul, obviously, uh, some support, you know, brought, brought him, you know, money, it seems like, to help support him through his missionary journeys, and then also told him about the Corinthian church. And verse 19 says, The churches of Asia greet you, Aquila and Priscilla, greet you heartily in the Lord with the church that is in their house. And so again, we run across Aquila and Priscilla, this great couple ministering to the Lord wherever the Lord has them and sends them. You know, this is a great couple on fire that's used to the Lord wherever city they go into. They always have, it seems like, a church meeting, uh, you know, in their house wherever they are. And again, a great uh, brother and sister uh, serving the Lord. So they said, hi, in verse 20, all the brethren greet you. And he says, greet one another uh, with a holy kiss. So I want you to turn to your neighbor on your left and give him a big smooch. No, I'm just kidding. You know, that's just how they greeted. And again, there's some cultures that greet with a kiss today. When I, I go to Mexico and the older ladies come up, give me a hug, I, I give them a, a, a kiss on the cheek. That's just what they appreciate, what they like. It's kind of a cultural thing. Um, and so, you know, it's not like this big sloppy kiss. It's just a kiss. And there's some cultures that do that. Today, mostly in our church, in our way of doing things, we give each other a hug. That's the kind of way. It's this passionate greeting in that way. Good thing to do. Somebody always needs a hug, man. Verse 21, the salutation with my own hand, Paul's. And so Paul says, this is I'm writing this with my own hand now. This is a mark on all my letters. He would say at some point, you know it's from me because I write this portion with his own hand. And then he says in verse 22, if anyone does not love the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be accursed. O Lord, come. And again, this passionate warning was probably aimed at the false teachers who were in the congregation. And man, if you don't, uh, man, I pray that, you know, that you just get wiped out of that conversation, uh, out of that congregation so that you're not that evil influence anymore. And then at the end of that, he says, O Lord, come, which is translated from uh, uh, the Aramaic, you know, translated Maranatha. So some of the translations do have the word Maranatha at the end of verse 22, because that's what O Lord or Lord come uh, is, is from the word Maranatha. So... Uh, I always like driving down Green Valley, and we see that street, that Christian developer that developed those Faith, Hope, and Maranatha streets. They're off Green Valley. I think it's pretty cool. I like driving by looking at that sign, so, which just means, Come, Lord. And then finally, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. My love be with you in all, all in Christ Jesus. Amen. So he offers them grace and love in Jesus. Well, let's pray. Father, we do thank you again for this great book and all the lessons that we've learned, Lord. And I know it's taken, oh, a few months to, to go through all these, Lord. And I just pray that we would retain and, Lord, you'd bring to mind all that you teach us through all these weeks, Father. There's so many important lessons and, and Lord, we get our mind, you know, distracted in so many ways uh, during the day and at home and at work or at school or wherever we might be, Lord. But, uh, you know, we're thankful that we're you know, keeping your word in our heart, that it's alive and living in our lives, Lord. And, and we know that you continue to use that and you continue to draw us close, Father. So I pray that you would continue to do that, draw us close in, in the love and grace that's yours. For we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, you guys. May the Lord bless you and...